Chapter 3 The Life and Adventures of James P. Beckworth Mountaineer, Scout, and Pioneer and Chief of the Crow Nation of Indians Written from his own dictation by T.D. Bonner This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org my companion and myself took counsel together how to proceed. Our determination was to make the best of our way to the Grand Nemaha River, one of the tributaries of the Missouri. We arrived at that river after nine days' travel, being, with the exception of a little coffee and sugar, entirely without provisions. My companion was worn out and seemed almost disheartened. I was young and did not feel much the worse for the journey, although I experienced a vehement craving for food. Arrived at the river, I left Harris by a good fire and taking my rifle, went in quest of game, not caring what kind I met. As fortune would have it, I came across an elk and my rifle soon sent a leaden messenger after him. We encamped near him, promising ourselves a feast. He was exceedingly poor, however, and, hungry as we were, we made a very unsavory supper of his flesh. The next morning we continued our journey down the Nemaha, traveling on for five days after I had killed the elk without tasting food. The elk had been so rank that we carried no part of him with us, trusting to find some little game in which we were disappointed. We had thrown away our blankets to relieve ourselves of every burden that would impede our progress, which, withal, was extremely slow. On the fifth day, we struck a large Indian trail, which bore evident marks of being fresh. My companion now gave entirely up and threw himself to the ground, declaring he could go no farther. He pronounced our position to be thirty miles from the trading post. I endeavored to arouse him to get up and proceed onward, but he could only advance a few rods at a time. I felt myself becoming weak. Still, I had faith that I could reach Eli's. If I had no hindrance, if I lingered for Harris, I saw we should both inevitably perish. He positively declared he could advance not a step farther. He could scarcely put one foot before the other, and I saw he was becoming bewildered. In the dilemma, I said to him, Harris, we must both perish if we stay here. If I make the best of my way along this trail, I believe I can reach Eli's some time in the night. For I was aware that the Indians, whose trail we were following, were proceeding thither with their peltry. But Harris would not listen to it. Oh, Jim, he exclaimed, don't leave me. Don't leave me here to die. 
For God's sake, stay with me. I did my best to encourage him to proceed. I assisted him to rise, and we again proceeded upon our journey. I saw, by the progress we were making, we should never get on. So I told him, if I had to advance and leave him, to throw himself in the trail and await my return on the following day with a good horse to carry him to the trading post. We walked on, I a hundred yards in advance, but I became convinced that if I did not use my remaining strength in getting to Eli's, we should both be lost. Accordingly, summoning all my forces, I doubled my speed, determined to reach the post before I stopped. I had not proceeded half a mile or I heard the report of two rifles, and looking in the direction of the sound, I saw two Indians approaching with demonstrations of friendship. On reaching me, one of them exclaimed, You are dead! You no live! I explained to him that I had left my companion behind, and that we were both nearly starved to death. On this, they spoke a few words to each other in their own language, and one started off like a racehorse along the trail while the other returned with me to my companion. As we approached him, I could hear him moaning, Oh, Jim, come back! Come back! Don't leave me! We went up to him, and I informed him that we were safe that I had met the Indians, and we should soon be relieved. After waiting about three hours, the rattling of hooves was heard, and looking up, we discovered a troop of Indians approaching at full speed. In another moment, they were by our side. They brought with them a portion of light food, consisting of cornmeal made into a kind of gruel, of which, they would give us but a small spoonful at short intervals. When Harris was sufficiently restored to mount a horse with the assistance of the Indians, we all started forward for the post. It appeared that the two Indians whom I had so fortunately encountered had lingered behind the main party to amuse themselves with target shooting with their rifles. The one that started along the trail overtook the main body at a short distance, and making our case known to them, induced them to return to our succor. We encamped with them that night, and they continued the same regimen of small periodic doses of gruel. Several times a large Indian seized hold of an arm of each of us, and forced us into a run until our strength was utterly exhausted. Others of the party would then support us on each side, and urge us on till their own strength failed them. After this discipline, a spoonful or two of gruel would be administered to us. This exercise being repeated several times, they at length placed before us a large dish containing venison, bear meat, and turkey, with the invitation to eat all we wanted. 
It is unnecessary to say that I partook of such a meal as I never remember to have eaten before or since. Early the next day, we arrived at the trading post of Eli and Curtis, situate on the Missouri River, near the mouth of the Kansas. As I entered the house, I heard someone exclaim, Here comes Jim Beckworth and Black Harris, the name he went by where he was known. Eli sprang up to welcome us. Sure enough, said he, it is they, but they look like corpses. Another voice exclaimed, Hello, Jim. What is the matter with you? Is it yourselves or only your ghosts? Come along and take some brandy anyway. Living or dead, you must be dry. We accepted the invitation and took each a glass, which, in our greatly reduced state, quite overpowered us. Left to my reflections, I resolved that, if I survived my present dangers, I would return to civilized life. The extremities I had been reduced to had so moderated my resentments that, had I encountered my former boss, I should certainly have extended my hand to him with ready forgiveness. The Indians we had so opportunely fallen in with belonged to the Kansas band of the Osage tribe and were on the way, as we had surmised, to dispose of their goods at the trading post. Their wares consisted principally of peltry, obtained by their great sagacity in trapping and their skill in hunting the wild animals of the plains. And purchasing their skins of them, Misters Eli and Curtis rewarded the Indians very liberally with government stores for their humanity in succoring us when exhausted, and as an encouragement to relieve others whom they might chance to find similarly distressed. After thoroughly recruiting at the trading post, where I received every attention from Mrs. Eli and Curtis, I started for St. Louis. On my arrival at G. Chateau's trading post, I calculated the intervening distance to St. Louis and abandoned my intention of proceeding thither, delaying my return till the spring, when the ice would break up in the Missouri. Mr. Chateau engaged me to assist in packing peltries during the winter at $25 per month. When the river was free from ice, I took passage in a St. Louis boat and after a quick run, arrived safe in the city early in the evening of the fifth day. Shortly after my arrival, I fell in with General Ashley, who had returned to the city for more men. The general was greatly surprised to see me, he having concluded that my fate had been the same with hundreds of others engaged to fur companies, who had perished with cold and starvation. The general informed me that he had engaged one hundred and twenty men, who were already on their road to the mountains. He declared I was just the man he was in search of to ride after and overtake the men and accompany them to the mountains, and added that I must start the next morning. My feelings were somewhat similar to those of a young sailor on his return from his first voyage to sea. 
I had achieved one trip to the Wild West and had returned safe, and now I was desirous of spending a long interval with my father. I suffered the arguments of the old general to prevail over me, however, and I re-engaged to him, with the promise to start on the following morning. This afforded me short time to visit my friends, to whom I just paid a flying visit, and returned to the city in the morning. After attending to the general's instructions, and receiving $800 in gold to carry to Mr. Fitzpatrick, an agent of General Ashley then stationed in the mountains, I mounted a good horse and put on in pursuit of the party, who were five or six days' journey in advance. I may here remark that the general had been recently married, and feeling some reluctance to tear himself away from the delights of Haman, he set me on for the performance of his duties. The general followed after in about a week and overtook the party at Franklin on the Missouri. It was early May when I commenced my journey. Unfolding nature presented so many charms that my previous sufferings were obliterated from my mind. The trees were clothing themselves with freshest verdure, flowers were unveiling their beauties on every side, and birds were caroling their sweetest songs from every bough. These sights and sounds struck me more pleasantly upon my senses than the howl of the wolf and the scream of the panther, which assailed our ears in the forest and prairies of the Wild West. After being joined by our general, we proceeded up the Missouri to Council Bluffs and thence struck out for the Platte country. Soon after our arrival on the Platte, we had the great misfortune to lose nearly all our horses, amounting to about 200 head, stolen from us by the Indians. We followed their trail for some time, but deeming it useless to follow mounted Indians while we were on foot, our general gave up the pursuit. We could not ascertain what tribe the robbers belonged to, but I have since been convinced they were either the Eatons or the Arapahoes. Our general then gave orders to return to the Missouri and purchase all the horses we needed, while he returned to St. Louis to transact some affairs of business and possibly pay his devotions to his very estimable lady. We succeeded in obtaining a supply of horses after retracing about 200 miles of our journey, paying for them with drafts upon General Ashley in St. Louis. We then again returned to our camp on the Platte. This adventure occupied nearly the whole summer, and we guarded against a repetition of the misfortune by strictly watching the horses day and night. While a portion of the company were engaged in making purchase of our second supply of horses, the other portion remained on the ground to hunt and trap, and gather together a supply of provision for our consumption. They met with excellent success, and caught a great number of beavers and otters, together with a quantity of game. General Ashley rejoined us in September, and by his orders Fitzpatrick and Robert Campbell proceeded to the Loop Fork, 
taking with them all the men except eight who remained behind with the general to ascend the Platte in quest of the company he left there the preceding winter, from which Harris and myself had been detached on our expedition to the Pawnee camp. After several days' travel, we found the company we were seeking. They were all well, had been successful in trapping, and had made some good trades with straggling parties of Indians in the exchange of goods for peltry. They had fared rather hard a part of the time, as game, which was their sole dependence, was often difficult to obtain. I should here mention that we found Harris in the course of our second trip, who rejoined our company well and hearty. Fur companies in those days had to depend upon their rifles for a supply of food. No company could possibly carry provisions sufficient to last beyond the most remote white settlements. Our food, therefore, consisted of deer, wild turkey, which were found in great abundance, bear meat, and even in times of scarcity, dead horses. Occasionally a little flour, sugar and coffee might last over to the mountains, but those who held these articles asked exorbitant prices for them and it was but few who tasted such luxuries. We were now in the buffalo country, but the Indians had driven them all the way. Before we left the settlements, our party made free use of the beehives, pigs, and poultry belonging to the settlers, a marauding practice commonly indulged in by the mountaineers who well knew that the strength of their party secured them against any retaliation on the part of the sufferers. There were two Spaniards in our company, whom we one morning left behind us to catch some horses which had strayed away from the camp. The two men stopped at a house inhabited by a respectable white woman, and they, seeing her without protection, committed a disgraceful assault upon her person. They were pursued to the camp by a number of the settlers, who made known to us the outrage committed upon the woman. We all regarded the crime with the utmost abhorrence, and felt mortified that any of our party should be guilty of conduct so revolting. The culprits were arrested, and they at once admitted their guilt. A council was called in the presence of the settlers, and the culprits offered their choice of two punishments, either to be hung to the nearest tree or to receive one hundred lashes each on the bare back. They chose the latter punishment, which was immediately afflicted upon them by four of our party. Having no cat or nine tails in our possession, the lashes were inflicted with hickory withs, their backs were dreadfully lacerated, and the blood flowed in streams to the ground. The following morning, the two Spaniards and two of our best horses were missing from the camp. We did not pursue them, but by the tracks we discovered of them, it was evident they had started for New Mexico. End of chapter 3